Writer Greg Wallach flew down to Georgia to comfort his friend who was heartbroken when her relationship ended. They decided to go to church on a Sunday morning only to realize that they had stepped into a televangelist church with cameras on cranes and talk of how Christ is going to come down and wipe the blood of the sinners from the seat of judgment. And Greg wasn't really sure what the preacher was talking about, but he wondered if the preacher was talking about him. The service had started and there was nowhere to sit so Greg and his friend had to walk down to the very front of the church and sit down in the front pew, which was the only place that was open. And right then, this woman and a couple of men from the church, they came up to Greg. And the woman said, can I ask you a question? And Greg said, sure. And she said, are you comfortable? And he said, well, it's a little hot in here. <laughs> and she said, no, are you comfortable living in that body? And he responded, you know what, I am, so just move along. <laughs> and what you need to know here is that Greg lives with cerebral palsy and walks using canes. But this woman and the other men, they insisted, and they took Greg toward the minister where he was preaching down in front of the entire congregation, and the minister grabbed Greg's head and said, I want you to get the devil out of your body. I want you to throw down those canes and walk. I want you to get the devil out of your body. I want you to throw down those canes and walk. And then palm flat smacked him on the forehead. But instead of falling over, Greg just sort of leaned back and then he came up again. And the pastor actually seemed kind of mad, like Greg wasn't working with him. <laughs> and here are Greg's words about what transpired next. The funny thing is, I can actually put down my canes and walk a few steps, but not very far. But I don't know if it was the cameras or the pressure, but I just didn't know how to get out of it. So I put down one cane, and then I put down the other, and just for a second I stood up, and the congregation starts freaking out. And the minister looks at me like, oh my God, I actually did it. <laughs> and you know, I sort of always did want to be on TV. I just. I never thought it would happen this way, which just goes to show that the Lord does indeed work in mysterious ways. But you know, while it was happening, while I was in the middle of it, I wanted to say, stop. I mean, wait, I'm okay. Who are you to decide that I need to be healed of this? Could you make me less neurotic? Could you get me a better job? How about the perfect boyfriend? But not this. This just isn't at the top of my list. This just isn't at the top of my list. This morning begins our sermon series called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. And this month, 
we'll explore what it means to be a person in a body. We all live in bodies, and our bodies are so bizarre and fascinating. We all live in these human bodies, kind of tall. We're very strange in that we have these at the ends of our hands and our feet, and we move only using two legs. That's our preferred mode of movement. And we have our whole command center right up here. And if you were to look at it, it would just be like a, a gray blob. But it controls everything. It controls this hole in our head right here where we put in uh, dead plants and dead animals. <laughs> and we grind them up. And then they go down through these invisible organs that we can't even see. And then it comes out. <laughs> and everyone does that. Even the most beautiful and powerful people do that. And when we're happy, we choose to kind of show our teeth and open our mouth. And when we're sad, water comes out of our face. And <laughs> And when we're tired, we just close our eyes and we just lay there motionless and silent. Or you might share a bedroom with someone who doesn't remain silent. <laughs> and our minds have us believing that we're in some strange place that seems totally normal and then we wake up and, wow, yeah, that was a dream. I do that every night. But to me, the strangest part of all is how human lives come to be in the first place. That we have this teeny tiny egg and the teeny tiny sperm and they meet and then those cells start to multiply and multiply and then eventually it's a person. Everybody in this room started that way. It's a person who comes into the world and that person might do all kinds of things. That person might eat or drink or dance or leave voicemails, or rake the leaves, or host Thanksgiving, or make love, or do the dishes, or just crumple up with grief, or rejoice in a happiness that's just unspeakable, or notice a gray hair, or look in the face of a child and remember when. And then, eventually, Life leaves that body, that life is over. It's what we all do. Our bodies are sources of joy and pleasure and beauty. But our bodies are also sources of disconnection, misplaced worship, and suffering. Our bodies are our teachers. A friend of mine who is a nurse recently moved to a new position in a hospital intensive care unit. And this change, it required hours of training. And one day, she spent four hours in a small ICU room doing a dialysis treatment together with another nurse. And she tried to soak up every detail of the process so that she would be able to do it on her own. And she was focusing intently on the mechanics of the process, on the equipment, on the teacher, and in fact, the whole time there was another person in the room, and it was the patient, 
He was on a ventilator. He was lying quietly with his eyes closed the entire time. He appeared to be unconscious. And as they were preparing to leave the room after this extensive training session, the patient's nurse began working with him. She asked him questions, and he opened his eyes and was able to respond with nods of the head. And my friend, she realized that during her time in this room, she hadn't spoken a word to the patient. She hadn't imagined that he might also be present there, affected by her words, by her actions, by her touch, or lack thereof. She had focused on the treatment and not the person. But there was a person in there. There was someone alive and receptive inside the body on the ventilator. And of course, this is true for each one of us. There is a person in here. And we live in a world where we make all kinds of assumptions about someone's personhood based on their body. Think back to Greg Wallach's situation at the church in Georgia. And if we're feeling superior to this televangelist business, we are missing the point. How many times have we done this same thing? I know that I've done it. I've hurt people by making assumptions about their needs, about their desires, about their worthiness, based on how they look. The people at this church assumed that Greg was not whole because of the way his body worked, that the devil was in his body, that his body needed fixing, and if they could just cure him of the way his body worked and moved, then Greg would know wholeness. But in fact, what they did was approach a person who was already whole and cast him as other, alienating him and perpetrating a kind of violence that happens when we try to fix someone who doesn't fit into our narrow understanding of wholeness. This is really hard to avoid in a world where we are constantly steeped in messages about the body that range from distracting to damaging. Messages about what is beautiful and what is ugly, messages about the ways in which our bodies should be large or should be small, instructions on how to feel about the speed and the manner in which our bodies move, rigid ideals of masculinity and femininity. We're obsessed with youth and we're terrified of aging. Our medical system has managed to pathologize pregnancy and childbirth as though they're abnormal conditions that need to be cured. We work very hard to avoid acknowledging death. We've fabricated these categories that we call race, that have no basis in science and have caused death and dehumanization all around the world and here in Minnesota. All these assumptions and lies keep us from seeing another human and realizing what should be obvious, but what is so often hidden. That there's a person in there, a person just like we are a person, a person worthy 
and capable of love, a person with whom we share many more commonalities than differences, with whom we share genetics and emotional life, needs, yearnings, joy, sorrow, life and death. In seminary, there was one particular book that I couldn't wait to see it arrive in my mailbox. I was so curious about it. It was called Three Prophets of Religious Liberalism, Channing, Emerson, Parker. Who were these people, these prophets of ours? Well, it turns out that they were all Unitarians and they were all men, which is not surprising since male bodies have been more valued than female bodies over many centuries in the Western world. And one of these prophets of religious liberalism was the Reverend Theodore Parker, who was a 19th century Unitarian, transcendentalist, and abolitionist. And he lived back when Unitarians were still a Christian denomination. And his sermon, The Transient and the Permanent in Christianity, made him a total outcast. Theodore Parker, he was once um, highly respected by his colleagues. He was part of the group. He was on the inside. And then he preached this sermon, and it made him a heretic. His colleagues mocked him publicly. They even crossed his name out of their almanac of ministers, which is basically the only Unitarian form of excommunication. <laughs> So what did Theodore Parker say that got everyone so up in arms? Well, Parker lived in a time when many Unitarians feared the increasing liberalization of the church. They feared change. And in The Transient and the Permanent in Christianity, Parker observed that a great deal of how we do religion changes over time, and it's not permanent. Our rituals change, our ministers come and go, our buildings are bought and sold, people are born and they die, even doctrine and theology, they change. And Parker warns his audience against mistaking those changing things for the core of religion. He warns them against clinging to our present ways of doing church as though they are what is holy and worthy of worship. Instead, our religious task is to align ourselves with the deeper enduring truths, with our deepest commitments to love and hope. Theodore Parker went so far as to suggest that even if Jesus had never lived, and even if the Bible had never existed, life's deep truths would still be just as real. And that made a lot of people angry. Theodore Parker asked, will you cling to what is perishing or will you embrace what is eternal? Will you cling to what is perishing or will you embrace what is eternal? Our culture's relationship to the body is a distressingly perfect example of clinging to what is perishing. 
Our body is always changing, and one day it will cease to continue living. However, so many of us are stuck on perfecting and worshiping the body as if meeting some physical ideal were our key to salvation. Our bodies are always changing, and they know only a brief lifetime. However, they also teach us about permanence, about those eternal truths that we are called to embrace. Consider what our bodies are made of atoms that all originated billions of years ago. As we heard from Justin in the wisdom story this morning, we're all made of stardust. We're all breathing that dinosaur air. The atoms that make up our bodies, they get recycled into something else eventually. In fact, 98% of the atoms in our body are replaced each year These atoms make up molecules, which make up cells, which make up tissues, which make up organs. And new atoms are always coming and going. These incredibly small building blocks we share in common with each other and with the universe remind us of our profound interconnection, of our oneness with existence. This picture of unity, it brings us back to our universalism, that no one is outside the circle. Ultimately, everyone, everything, every atom, it's all part of the oneness. And we're all in this together, all people, and each one of the unique, miraculous bodies we're living in. And we're all interconnected in this great web of existence, and our enduring mandate our permanent mandate, in the words of Theodore Parker, is to navigate these connections with love. To remember when we encounter someone else that there's a person in there. There's a person in there like we are a person. We're made of the same stuff. There's a person inside of that body's exterior. And widening our embrace is our permanent commitment. This from our reading this morning. Body is a thing you have to leave eventually. You know that because you've seen others do it. Others who were once like you, living inside their pile of bones and flesh, smiling at you, loving you, leaning in the doorway, talking to you for hours, and then one day they are gone. No forwarding address. People are born, they live, they die. Churches rise and fall, and love lives on. In the words of the Reverend Forrest Church, death is not life's goal, only life's terminus. The goal is to live in such a way that our lives will prove worth dying for. This is where love comes into the picture. The one thing that can't be taken from us, even by death, is the love we give away before we go. 
We were born into bodies that were made for loving. And one day we will die. During this precious lifetime, may we learn to stop clinging to what will inevitably perish and instead to lavishly give away our love, dedicating our energies to drawing the circle ever wider. The one thing that can't be taken from us even by death is the love we give away before we go. So let's go give it away. May it be so. Amen.